lives. In Philippians chapter 1, in Philippians chapter 1, we'll start in uh, verse 21 to 24. Paul is the writer of this epistle, and it says this, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. <clears throat> For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Thank you, Lord. For most people, if they were writing this letter, they would say, For to me, to die is gain. If most believers were writing this right now, they would write it this way, for to me, to die is gain. Because they don't have a revelation of how to live for Christ. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He said, but, I, but if I am to live on in the flesh, that means in his skin suit, not living by the flesh. Okay, let's go ahead and clearly define that. That doesn't mean that Paul, again, who was a writer concerning grace in Romans, that I live by the flesh. It doesn't matter if I do fleshly things because the grace of God has covered me. He already covered that. He said, you don't live by the flesh, you live by the spirit. So he's not talking about going on living by the flesh. He says, if I'm to live on in the flesh, in this skin suit, if my spirit man stays attached to the body it's in. Are you with me? Okay. This will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. Now, notice he's saying if I'm going to stay in it, then that means there's labor. <laughs> there's labor. Not only is there labor, but it's fruitful labor. It's not labor that has no fruit. So it's not just labor. It's not being busy and ineffective. It is laboring with fruit. Okay? Then he says in verse 23, he says, but I'm hard, I am hard-pressed from both sides. He's hard-pressed. I mean, this ain't casual. This is hard-pressed. This is weighing on him. I'm hard-pressed from both directions. What directions? Having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, for that is very much better. Turn to your neighbor and say, very much better. <laughs> then he goes in verse 24 and says, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So what's the two places that's creating this hard pressure on his life? To go ahead and die or to stay here and be fruitful? To die and go be with Jesus or to continue to live in the earth? To die and go be with Jesus or to live here in the earth? And this is pressure. Now you say, why is this pressure? Because again, too often when we read the Bible, we do not do it in context. Context is not just rightly dividing the word of truth with chapter and verse, you know, the verses above and beyond, and then the chapter's in, then the book it's in, then, you know, the, the writer that acts off his, those particular epistles, then within the uh, context of the New Testament, then in, or whatever testament it's in, then in context to the whole Bible. Are you with me? It's not just that, it's also the historical side, which is what were they actually doing at the time they wrote this? because it's significant for us to understand what they were going through that had him in this thought pattern. And the Holy Ghost had no problem letting us know. Do you understand there's a lot of things in the Bible that the Holy Ghost wrote for us so we can understand how people were dealing in the thought realm, yet he wasn't moved by that. His word still was to stay forever settled. Amen. Are you with me? Yes. And you understand there was a word for this man. There was a word for this man that I would use you, that I would put you before kings. I would put you before great men. I was going to send you to the Gentiles, right? right? Amen. And so there was an assignment on this man's life. Yet here, he's already ready to stop. Why? Well, Rick Renner, who is a Greek scholar, he, he's an apostle to the nation of Russia. He's in Moscow, Russia right now. And a phenomenal Bible teacher, uh, you know, I don't typically give accolades to other people for you to go follow and stuff. You know, I mean, if we brought him in here, you know, you can do. But Rick Renner is an absolute Greek um, um, scholar. He is, he breaks down the word, my gosh, man. It's like honey on your lips, man, when he starts to break down this thing on. You're like, wow, that's what that means. Okay? If you've ever followed him, listen to his preaching, if you haven't, look him up. I have no problem with that. Rick Renner, R-E-N-N-E-R. -E -N -N -E anyway, with that being said, he brought into account what was taking place in Paul's life. He said, I visited this jail. I was there. 
He said in this particular jail that Paul was in, because he was in prison at the writing of this letter. And he said he was in the lowest part of the prison. Now, the lowest part uh, of the prison is where everything flows down to. So there's, you know, more than one layer. And again, they're inside. He's in the lowest part of this. You know, it's wet, drafty in those contexts. You understand? It's not like prisons today. You know, when you hear prison in the Bible, you can't think of what we see today. All right? Where the guys get an hour of daylight outside. They can go work out, you know, do some PT. Obviously, if they're sick, they get health care. Are you with me? They don't have to worry about what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to wear. Because that's happening. And so, you know, every once in a while, they get to see TV. When we go to Putnam Correction, sometimes the number's a little lower. And we come to find out, oh, the Super Bowl was playing. Well, why are they watching it? They get to. I said they get to. But Paul's not watching TV. Paul's chained. Other prisoners are chained. So they're chained up. You understand this thing's damp uh, and iron chains, you know, these things are rusting. And so obviously based upon just their wrist and places they get shackled, sores take place. More people die in prison from gangrene and infection than anything. But Paul, again, is not up on the top level. He's on the bottom and you understand there's no toilet system there. In fact, you know, toilets weren't invented until later on anyway. And they don't let prisoners out to go defecate. Are you with me? Okay. And so this is all taking place and it's all flowing down. Brick Renner said Paul most likely was either knee deep to waist deep in what flows down. He said it wouldn't, it wouldn't be uncommon for rats to run across that. He said, I can imagine at night when it was dark, you know, because they didn't have electricity, you understand? No lights are on, nothing's going on, that the screams that they heard were probably rats eating the people, eating on their sores. It's context. I mean, this will help you understand why Paul's like, I want to die, right? Can, you, can we understand this now? You know, man, I just want to die right now. Here he is, poured himself out to people, and now he's in jail for what purpose? Because I preach Jesus. And now I'm in jail. Okay? And sometimes we just have a hard time getting out of our warm bed to make it to church at on time. Is it raining outside now? But when it does, it's raining. Might get wet. <laughs> I mean, check yourself. I ain't telling you. I'm just saying I'm not going to let a little raindrop stop me when Paul is not going to let being in prison stop him. Being waist deep in sewage. Right? Come on, we can toughen up better than this. Because you understand, God put us on the earth for such a time as this. Hallelujah. So let's do something significant with it. But here's this thing. He definitely is in this place. He said, I'm stuck between these two places. Whether they go on to be with the Lord, and what did he say it would be? Very much better. Most believers are right there. They want uh, just to go on and be with the Lord. Now, we can understand why Paul's having this conversation, but listen, we know why the world a lot of times wants to die. But man, has it ever crossed your mind, I just want to die? I tell you, it's crossed mine more than one time in my lifetime. I'm ready to go. I'm done with this. It has come and, 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 and hit my brain waves and registered in my thought patterns, and I had to deal with that thought. There are a lot of people that don't. In fact, when I was talking to Apostle Estrada, he was telling me that there's a forest in Japan, because we were talking about going to Japan in 2019. And we were, he was talking about, he said there's a forest in Japan where it's known as suicide forest. Because the pressure that's on the family structure there in Japan is so, so strong, so tight, that if, if they're not working, it's so devastating that many of them just go out to that forest and kill themselves. They just want to die. It's amazing. That's where they go. If you don't find, if somebody's not showing up for a while, they go to the forest. In a whole culture. And, you know, we get in pressures in life, and sometimes you're like, man, I just want to die. I want to be done. Paul was in this place. Yet, he, and he's saying, though, if I go, though, it will be very much better. And too often, many of us as believers, we're wanting to live a very much better life instead of a more necessary. Because in 24, it says, but, he says, yet to remain on in the flesh means in this body is more necessary. 
I'm telling you, we got to get past this thought process of trying to live a very much better life and start living a more necessary life. People want to live a very much better life, so I'll get a very much better job, a very much better car, a very much better spouse, a very much better child, a very much better, you know, uh, place to live, a very much better retirement, a very much better boat. Instead of, I need to live the more necessary. Because if you live the more necessary, you'll get the very much better. Because Paul knows if I go, I'm going where he is, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. But the question is, am I done here? He resolved in this conversation in his writing that it was for him to stay. And to stay, he said, it's more necessary. This more necessary really wasn't for Paul. He wasn't saying, I'm going to come up out of this jail and prove the devil wrong that he couldn't kill me. It wasn't about that. Because if it was just about that, you know, Paul could have said, well, I'm gone. But Paul realized, you know what, I, I don't need to prove the devil nothing. Shut up. I don't need to prove anything to the devil. He's a defeated foe. He's not my adversary. He's not the one that I'm the most concerned about. He's an adversary to me, but he's already been whipped and stripped of his power if I keep myself in Christ. No, what did he say? It's more necessary for your sake. When we start living a life of more necessary for somebody else's sake, we'll get past our actual address and start really doing something significant. Hallelujah. And so Paul's between these places and come to this revelation or resolution that no matter how much I want to just die and go see Jesus, I'm not done. I'm not done. Which brings this interesting thought. Because this interesting thought is, is that Jesus thought about leaving the world a little different. Too often, we're just for, to me, to die as gain. As believers, we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, basically our Savior. We want him to save us so that we do not go to hell. And then we're like, to die as gain. And that's the only existence we think about, to die as gain. Oh, this terrible world, to die as gain. Oh, I can't wait till it's done, to die as gain. Oh, I just can't wait till Jesus comes, to die as gain. We do need to look forward to the redemption of our, of our salvation, that, that, that God's coming. We need to have an expectation that that will take place. And be excited about it but you understand whether it's today tomorrow or 13 years from now if we're doing the more necessary we will attain to the very much better we will attain to the very much better jesus had a whole nother context concerning planet earth than most believers do most believers have this escapism or escapist mentality i just can't wait to leave Yet Jesus in his prayer to the Father before he goes to the cross sounds a lot different about how you should relate to planet earth. Look what he says in John chapter 17. We'll start in verse 15. He says it this way. He's talking to the Father in John chapter 17, verse 15. He's talking to his Father. He says, Father, he says this. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. Okay, let's say that again. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. My gosh, this right here will preach. And this, one, this, this scripture right here would dismantle a lot of funeral services. Well, the Lord just wanted to take them home. Jesus said, Father, I do not ask you to take them out of this world. There's only one person that wants you out of the planet. His name's the devil because he don't want you to discover who you are. He don't want you to ever get your potential release. He don't ever want you to see yourself as a child of God in a God class able to do something significant. So he's going to do everything he can to get you out. Now, the father, on the other hand, is going power to keep you here until your assignment's done. Because there came another time in Paul's writing, he said, listen, my life's being poured out as a drink offering. I have fought the good fight. I have run my course. I'm not, I wasn't done till I was done. He said this, I don't, in Philippians, he said, I, not that I've apprehended yet, but there's one thing I've learned, forgetting what lies behind, and I press on to that which I was called to do. I'm telling you, Paul pressed, he pushed, he strived, he pulled himself out of the worst circumstances because he lived the life that was more necessary. 
But once he finished his more necessary life, he could pin to Timothy, I've finished my race. Now my very much better is going to happen. And I have crowns waiting on me. Crowns that never would have been there if I would have went to the very much better back in the jail when he wrote the Philippian letter. Hallelujah. So do not ask them. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. And don't you know God has the way of keeping you from the evil one? Because the Bible says the evil one is roaming around on this earth like, 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 not is, but like. There's only one lion, the lion of Judah. Hallelujah. He is the king of glory. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the lion of Judah. But there's a counterfeit that roams around like one seeking whom he may devour. Whom he may devour. Not who he can devour, but who will let him. Will you let him? Will you let him by allowing unrighteousness and sin to creep back in your life? Will you allow him by living worldly still? Will you allow him by letting the spirit of fear dominate you? Will you allow him? Or will you shut that door and say, my Jesus Christ has paid the price. My chains are gone. They've been broken. I've been set free. I don't live for you no more. I don't talk like you. I don't act like you. I don't talk like you. I don't dress like you. I don't mess around like you. I don't play around like you. No, I'm righteous. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Hallelujah. Just shut the door on him. How do you shut it? Submit to God. And when you submit to God, the Bible says you resist the devil. And when you resist the devil because you submit to God, what will he do? He'll flee from you. From you. Man, I, don't want to miss. I don't want nothing to do with him. He'll run. I mean, sometimes because you ain't living right, the devil just keeps knocking at your door. He ain't running nowhere. Why? Because you ain't submitted to God. He just keeps showing up, just keeps showing up, just keeps showing up. But you submit to God and be like, I got to go. I, this ain't working. I got to get another plan. You understand? The devil could not hang out with Jesus all the time. He had to leave, get another plan, come back, leave, get another plan, come back, leave, get another plan, come back. Then when he thought his plan was successful, ha ha, I got him. Judas betrayed him, sold him out. He's hung on the cross. The whole people rejected him, only to find out you killed an innocent man. What? Wages of sin is death. He shouldn't be dead. His blood's righteous. He can't legally stay in the grave. You, the grave has no legal hold on him. 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 The grave has no legal hold. And on the third day, the Holy Ghost says, I'm coming. Jesus. And Jesus broke through the grave and brought all of those that had died in righteousness with him. Took them all out. Made an open spectacle of the devil. Whoo, glory to God. Man, your life shouldn't be this constant bombardment of the devil. If you got it, well, the devil's after me and the devil's after me, then you don't know who you are. Because the devil could come and try to show up only to say, I'm, I'm sorry. That's how he should go from you. Flee. Flee. He'd be like, oh, my gosh, that's Seth. Oh, God. I thought I was, oh, there's Richie. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh, there's Devin. Oh, my gosh, Anila. Oh, gosh, where am I going to go? Go to some other church. You can't come to Anchor Faith. Hallelujah. Woo. Don't let him in. Shatarabasite. Okay. So, verse 16. It's been good so far. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Now, this word sanctify is a powerful word, but let's read a little bit further before I define it. As you sent me into the world, as you sent me, I also have what? Sent them into the world. So Jesus didn't send us a different way than he was sent. 
Jesus does not send us a different way than he was sent. So if people are operating in the world a different way than Jesus was sent, then guess what? They ain't been sent by Jesus. They may say they were sent by Jesus. Well, Jesus sent me. But if they ain't going the same way that Jesus was sent, then they ain't sent. Hallelujah. He said, for their sake. For whose sake? For my sake. Say my sake. For my sake. What did Jesus do? For my sake, Jesus, he said, I sanctify myself. That they themselves may also be what? sanctified in truth. Now, what's this word sanctified? Because that's a, you know, that's, you think that's a religious word. It's not a religious word at all. You know, we just say it in the church, but you can be sanctified anywhere. You can be sanctified at other stuff when you understand what sanctified means. Okay? In one set. Sanctified means to be set apart for a specific use. Set apart for a specific use. To be reserved for a special purpose. But in context of what we're saying, then what's very specific to us as the church is to be dedicated to God. Now, there are a lot of religions where people are sanctified to their religion. They're set apart for a special use. They're reserved for something for a special purpose and they're dedicated to their little G. They've dedicated their whole lives to it. Yet he's a false one. He's not even real. He can't even talk. He's made up of the imagination of man. But ours is alive. I said, he's alive. He's the only one. Jesus is not friendly with anyone else when it comes to God's status. He wipes it all out of the way. He said, I am the, not a, the way, the truth. There is no other truth but me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, but this is the only way. My name's Jesus. Jesus strikes the fear in more nations, has caused more and more issues. I mean, why are they so scared? If they don't think it's real, why are they worried about the book so much? Why are they so concerned about getting rid of the Bible? Why do they have such a problem with people talking about Jesus? I mean, if he's nothing, it's no different than us just saying Will or us saying Devin or us saying Marcus. But what they don't realize is when I say Marcus, Devin, and Will, we're actually saying the child of God that's in Christ Jesus, and that's Jesus walking on the planet. Because the problem is when they walk around, they act like he does. And they know their religion don't make them act like nothing. So sanctified, what did Jesus say? He said this, for their sake, I set myself apart for a specific use. For their sake, I was reserved for a special service, a special purpose. For their sake, I was dedicated to God. And in turn, what should we be? Dedicated to God. Reserved for a special purpose. Reserved for a specific use. We are to be that way. Amen? And then he goes on and says this, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. I like this. My gosh, he just goes ahead and breaks it down. So we get rid of all that false doctrine that gets out there. False doctrine like, oh, you know, tongues and the t- tongues went away after the first church, you know, with the first apostles. That's bow bunk junk, man. Ah, gosh, man, read your whole Bible and quit picking little verses to fix your doctrine. And then here, you know, here's Jesus saying, listen, this ain't just for the apostles. This ain't for the apostles of the land. Let me tell you who this is for. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also, who believe in me. How? Through their word. How many of you believe John 3, 16, written by the apostle of the Lamb? John, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Are you a believer? It's for you then. It's for you when you heard in Luke and you heard in Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and we're believing it. It was for you then he said these things. He said, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but that those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that what? So that what? They can hope to come to heaven. So they can get in their little churches, get in their little small confines. They can go to praying for the world, but never even get out there on it. So they can misinterpret scripture when I said in 2 Corinthians through the apostle Paul to be separated. You know, don't, don't come out from among them. They take one scripture. Oh, we can't even hang out with the world. Yeah, Jesus said, and you in it, you ain't of it. You can be in it without being it. 
In fact, you better be in it without being it. Because that's what I need. Because he said, listen, if you and I are one and we are one, then the world, what will happen with the world? So that the world may what? Believe. Here's the most damaging thing that's happening in the church today or in the minds of believers when they, all they want to do is escape planet earth to go to heaven is this. It doesn't matter how I live. What matters is what I tell you. And so they want to go preach Jesus is the only way, but they don't live the Jesus they preach. And they've fallen into the same trap and among the same people that Jesus had the worst problems with. They were called Pharisees. They wanted to preach a good message but couldn't live the message they preached. Oh, well, you'll just see because, you know, I'm going. Well, you don't live what you're saying. And that's what we're missing here. Because Jesus said, I, I'm not sending them into the world just to talk. I'm sending them in to testify through their lifestyle so that when they say something, people will want to know because they'll see it demonstrated. For God so what? Love. love the world. He said, I love you. He reached out over his throne in heaven and goes, oh, guys, I love you. I love you so much. I mean, none of you can come up here because you're you know, going to hell. <laughs> none of you are righteous. But I made you and I love you. I love you. I mean, sorry about your loss, <laughs> you know, but I, I just want you to know I love you. No, for God so loved the world, he had to demonstrate. You want to know how much I love you? I'm going to take my son and I'm going to clothe him in your suit and I'm going to sacrifice him so you can be back in my family. I'm going to demonstrate that love. I'm not just going to come and tell you, hey, I love you. Because don't talk to me about I love you unless you're willing to do what I say. Jesus said, they say they love me. They say, they, you say they love me? They say they love me? I'll know if you love me if you'll keep. If you're not doing my words, you don't love me. You're just a full of hot air. They, they confess me with their lips, but they're what? If your heart's far from, how do you know a person's heart's far from God? Because they don't live the things they're saying. Hallelujah. So we were never to engage a lost and dying world with a message only. We were to engage them with a lifestyle that in turn had many ways that we could communicate. Sometimes the greatest communication that Father sent us is don't even say a word, just hear them coughing. <laughs> Hey, what's going on? Man, I just got this, I just got this bug. I just can't shake it. Do you mind if I pray with you? Yeah, sure, no problem. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just lay hands on them, and in Jesus' name, I command these symptoms to leave. In Jesus' name, thank you. Thanks for letting me do that. And you walk off. And then they go. So an hour later, I hadn't coughed. They're feeling better. Wait, what, what was that name you said? Yeah. Who's, because ain't nobody prayed for me like that and got that. Can you, let me tell you about my Jesus. Right? Because they won't even, so a lot of times they won't even come. They'll be like, uh, I guess it's just coincidence. And they start watching you. You know, they don't talk like me. I ain't, you know, now the thing about it, they ain't cussing. I don't hear them cuss, tell dirty jokes. I mean, we, I mean, every time, you know, they, they, they ignore all the pornography and stuff that's, you know, all the posters in the workplace. You know, their marriage seems to be really awesome. I, God never intended us just to go, you need Jesus. If you don't, you're going to die and go to hell and go on to the next person. Because all that matters is, do you know Jesus? Because when you die, you'll go to hell. If you don't, let's go to the next person. Jesus said, I want you to live among them. 
You're just not going to be like them because you're drawn from a different source. See, here's the thing. When you don't understand what it means to be sanctified, you don't understand that you're set apart for a specific use. We could say it this way. If you don't know why you were born, then abuses are inevitable. We could also say it this way. If you don't know the reason why you were born, you'll experiment with your life. And that can be dangerous. They don't know why they're here, so they find a guy, find a girl. And then they're all excited, and it all seems great, and they're all connected. Then next thing you know, things go bad. And then they break up, and then they go find another one. Then they go find another one, and they go find another one. And every time they go, they seem more excited, but then leave more empty than the one before. They'll go to drugs. They go to alcohol. They start chasing their problems down at the end of a bottle, trying to, for some way, like it's magically just going to get rid of the problems the next day, only to have a worse headache, worse health, and more problems. Because abuses are inevitable when you don't know why you're here. They'll treat people certain ways, act towards people certain ways, be treated certain ways, because they don't know why they're here. They don't understand they're set apart. Yeah, but I can't be. I'm nothing special. Yeah, you are. You were born for now. And God don't put, didn't put you in the planet by accident. He could have put you at the turn of the century when he came, or, or at the beginning of this, what we call A.D. now, this after Christ deal, you understand? After his death, you could have been born back at when Jesus was here. You could have been before him. You could have been on the planet when Noah was building his ark. He could have put you in the suit that was one of his sons. But he didn't. He chose not to. He chose to save you for now. And the last time I checked, he made statements like this. The first shall be... And the last shall be, man, you're in a good time right now. I said, you're in a good time right now. I want to be a part of that generation. That's the last generation before Jesus says, come on, church. Come on, church. And the trumpet blows and we're called up together with him in the air. I want to be that last outpouring. But I'm only going to walk in it because I'm sanctified. Why is it that Jesus had no issue or, or, or basically uh, had this thought, don't leave the planet? Because if being with him is so very much better, why does he want to keep you down here? It's a good question. Well, Psalms 115, 16 says it this way. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to men. Remember, God gave us dominion over the earth. Remember, God made the earth with us in mind. Remember, God had a, an intention when he first created the planet and he put man in it. And he said, Adam, you can eat from any tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for the day you eat, you'll die. And he made man, man, both male and female, to have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over all the cattle, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, over all the earth. God wanted his heavenly kingdom, this unseen kingdom, to manifest in this earthly realm where his kingdom would be seen and shown and demonstrated. And he says, Adam, you will live. Don't eat this one fruit. And when we've asked this question, and it bears repeating right now, if Adam had never eaten the fruit, where would he be today? So Adam wasn't trying to get to heaven. Heaven showed up daily. I said, heaven showed up daily. And notice when Jesus told us to pray in the New Testament, he wasn't trying to get us out of the earth to heaven. He said, pray this way, guys. Our Father, not his daddy, but ours. Our Father, who art, King James Version, or who lives in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Your kingdom, your will be on on earth as it is in heaven. He's more concerned about getting the heaven influence down here than he is about getting heaven populated with earthly people. He's more concerned about that. But if we don't watch out, we'll get duped. We'll get lied to. We'll all of a sudden uh, uh, allow all the cares of life and all the trials and all the tribulations and the big bad you know, wolf that's going around huffing and puffing trying to blow the houses down to discourage us where we want to say, I just want to go to heaven. Oh, it's just about going there. And the Lord's like, my gosh, I'm trying to get down there through you. I'm trying to save your neighbor. I'm trying to change your mom. I'm trying to change your employer. I'm trying to get things over into your hands. But I need you to remain. He was so consumed with it, he said it this way. Ushers, would you help me? 
In Luke chapter 13, verse 20 and 21, it said this way. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? And Jesus, over 133 times, spoke about this kingdom. He was consumed with it. Why? Because he's the king of the kingdom. Amen. I thank God he came to save the world. That was his assignment. But Jesus is Lord. If Jesus had never been sent by the Father to redeem us, he'd still be Lord. And he would have rightly judged us all. He'd have looked at every one of us and said, you weren't good enough. You weren't righteous enough. Your works enough wasn't good enough. You're, depart from me. I never knew you'd be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And we all would have went. He's Lord. But because he did Savior, now we have entrance. But in order to gain entrance to his kingdom, we have to recognize him not as Savior as much as we do Lord. You're in supreme authority. All who call on the name of the shall be shall be saved. Shall be what? Shall be saved. Hey, do me a favor. Oh, no, just give me the... I get this one here. I forgot. Okay. So... He said, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast when a woman took and mixed it into a large bowl of flour and worked it uh, all through the dough. The NIV says it that way. And Matthew uh, 13, 33 says it this way. Jesus also used this illustration of the kingdom of heaven as like yeast when a woman was making bread. Even though she used a large amount of flour, the yeast permeated every part of the dough. Hallelujah. I said, Hallelujah. What Jesus did is when he spoke in parables, he was saying without saying. And so um, once you get revelation by the Spirit, you can begin to understand things. And he's saying, I'm going to give you a natural principle that actually applies spiritually if you have ears to hear. So if you'll understand the natural principle of yeast and dough, then you'll understand a, a spiritual principle that you can operate in. And the problem is, is we don't understand them. And we need to understand them and get them over into our spiritual life. Because this Bible's about a king, his kingdom, and his royal offspring, and he's left us in the planet because he set us apart for a special use to do something significant, and that is to touch the world. Yeah. This is the world. Flower. It's the world. Are you with me? Yeah. This is the world. Yeah. This is, ye is us. We are yeast. Yeah. Are you with me? We are yeast. Now, what is the primary reason for yeast? It comes from a word, or it, it, it is best entitled when us talking about a spiritual application, and it is the word influence. Now, the word influence literally means this by definition, the capacity or power of persons or things to be a compelling force or to produce effects on the actions, behaviors, and opinions. The act or power of producing an effect without apparent exertion of force or direct exercise of command. In essence, we're not just saying, you're going to die and go to hell if you don't accept Jesus. My gosh, man, get down and repent, bro. Look at this scripture right here. Look at it, man. Okay? Now, you're going to church with me, buddy. You are no, I'm not going to. And you tie them up and throw them down here, and y'all start bringing up your tied-up employees, you know, and empl friends, and they all tied up, and they're bound. You better listen to this thing. It's just not going to work that way. Tag them and gag them. Okay, that's good. That sounds like a youth service right there. Tag them and gag them. All right. Okay, so... <clears throat> There's a couple things we need to learn. Number one, let's talk, let's talk about it naturally, and I'll bring it over into some spiritual stuff. You ready? Yeast is inactive when it is sealed in the package. See, that's why the devil tried to convince certain believers from 2 Corinthians when he said, come out from among them and be separate. Right? What fellowship does. Well, the reality is, is that I should not let my number one friend be someone who's lost. When I'm in trouble, I shouldn't call this number one friend who's lost. What in the world can they give to me? They're dark, I'm light. I shouldn't be marrying someone who's not born of God. Because our, our spirit man is totally different. They're of the devil, I'm of God. And why would you want to make love to the devil? But many do. Many do. 
Well, but they look so good. <laughs> okay. Relationships. Listen to it online. So here's the thing. Now, I did a little more digging in between services because I want to help you out. This package, yeast is ineffective when it's sealed in the package. You know what else this, this package has right here? It has an expiration date. What's, they label it because the manufacturer, the creator, knows that if this yeast does not do its special purpose by this date, it literally can be rendered dead. You say you're going to talk to me about your faith without works? I'm going to show you my faith by my works. Because faith without works is dead. So all of us have an expiration date. Even if we are caught up. There is a time that we have for influence. And for me, it started March 11th, 1970, because God chose to put this spirit, which is nine months before that, okay? That's just when I came out my mother's womb, because God knew me before I got in there. And when mom and dad came together on nine months prior to March 11th, 1970, I was in the womb. I was growing. I was in there while God was forming me, man, and making me look wonderful because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. My gosh, I'm a good-looking guy, man, because God made me that way. God made me this way. Now, your opinion may be I'm not attractive, but to God, I look, my gosh, I look good. That's why I look at myself in the mirror and say, my gosh, you look good today. God made you, man. God made you. Put this on you. My gosh, you did a good job, Lord. Whoo, hallelujah. Why would I talk against what my daddy says? My dad don't make junk. Hallelujah. And if I'm not pleasing to your eyes, that's okay because I became pleasing to the only eye that I need to look at me. And her name is Marcella Denise Glisson, born May 3rd, 1970. Come on, I look good, don't I? Yeah, you bet I do. It's that God, yeah. So if it ain't God, you ugly. I'm just going to tell you right now, if you ain't got God in you, you ugly. Because the devil's ugly. They say when they reveal him, people are going to go, is this the one? They'll be repulsed by him. You don't want to look after his nature. It's repulsive. But there's an expiration date. So the thing is, are you being released? Are you allowing yourself to be released? So many people, oh, Jesus, come into my heart and save me. So when I die, I go to heaven. And they never release themselves. Never release their potential. Yes, quiet. Hallelujah. So let's check this thing out. Let's get it out of the package because we are out of the package people, right? I said we out of the package people. Get me up out of this package. I got to do something. Okay. Whoa, we got a little bit there. Okay. There it is. This is the kingdom of God, people. This is the world. The kingdom of God, the world. The kingdom of God, the world. The kingdom of God. This is? This is? This is? This is? Okay, good. Just making sure you know the difference. Because I'm amazed at how many people don't. Have you ever been around those at work? You, you go to church? Bro, I saw you on Facebook with everybody down at the strip club drinking or down at the bar toasting your beer and smoking your cigars. How come your wife has a black eye? Did you seriously just cuss them and you're a who? What? 
Don't judge me. You know you're going to get that with that crowd right there. Don't judge me. Bro, I'm not, but your fruit is rotten right now. You have lost reality of what you look like, right? Okay. So you understand this? When we look at this comparison, yeast by itself looks helpless and insignificant. Have you ever, you know, heard God say something You're like, my gosh, God, how can I do that? See, this is the deal. When God starts talking to you, he shows you this and then says, you're, you look, but you see, you're, you think you're this, this, but you don't understand what's in this. We always like, wow, that is such a big deal. How in the world? I mean, when God said, y'all need to take them all. Okay. What's that now? Why? Take, it ain't even for sale. And they just kept telling me for you, we've never sold them all. So it just keeps like it's so big. But yeast says it doesn't matter. Because this is the deal. Yeast is never intimidated by the size of the dough. I said yeast is never intimidated by the size of the dough. Now I got this, man. Listen, I'm going to tell you, I do not look at Facebook very often and I never am looking at it when we're in worship. So if you ever see me on my phone, it's because I'm not checking out who many people like me because there's only one like that I like and it's Jesus. And if he likes me, that's all that matters. But God was speaking to me so I had to sit over here on the front road to pop in another thought because the Lord said this, I flower, see we have prepared This has been prepared to receive the yeast. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. So he knows how to prepare a community to be able to receive the yeast. And I heard God say this. The problem is, is that my people who are yeast, once I finally prepared the world to receive what I have from them, they get up and go to another place that I've not prepared yet. They don't even get in the dough. There was a preparation that had to be done first to get it to a place. Now, this was my first service. It's already rising, but I'm going to reuse it. He is working the world over to get ready to receive his message. No man comes unto God unless the Lord draws him. He knows when they're ready, so he's working it. He understands what it is, and he says, okay, all right, now I got that flour. I got it all, I got it all, got it all mixed up, you understand? You take that water, you're going to mix that stuff up in there, okay? And now it's ready. So notice... <laughs> They've changed the formula in this, but the habit was always to first do this. But either way, if I was to take just yeast and dump it in this flour, will it ever rise? What's the defining factor? Ooh, who's water? I can't tell you how many yeast packets are stuck in flour, yet the yeast is not in the word themselves. They ain't read the Bible. They don't read the Bible. They get their little you, you version, little daily thing, and they ain't meditate on that at all. They just check it off so they can send out to all their friends that I read this. They've not studied it. They read it. So I'm, um, okay, done. Oh, so-and-so finished all six weeks of. Well, I hope you're living what you just read. Listen, you can be up in this world like this, and that, now tell me, where's the yeast at? Oh, shatarabasite. Where's that yeast at? Can you tell the difference? Oh, my, and the reason is, is because the water... 
of the word. This, this well of life is not spread. And then rivers of living water are flowing out because most people are out there without the endowment of power anyway. And Jesus said, I don't even want you. He told his disciples, I don't even want you in the world yet until the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Man, let the Holy Ghost come upon you. Then they began to speak in other tongues and boom, he released them into the world. So not only do we need the washing of the water of the word in our lives to renew our minds and, and to fill us and to quench us and, and have that water in our life, but we need to have rivers of living water flowing up out of us and pouring up out of us so that we can do the works that Jesus did and demonstrate in his power, raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out devils, freely you receive, freely. Freely give. So we need to get some water. So most, because there's this test, they say it's not necessary today in the context that you could believe the word on the package, and that is, this is when it's, you know, you run the risk of being dead yeast if you don't get out of your package before your expiration date, but you can do a test on it. And what do you do is you dissolve it in water. You saturate it. And you saturate, and then all of a sudden, they put a little sh uh, um, sugar in there, and it creates this little bubbling effect. Oh, it's doing it right now. This stuff's good, bro. They start bubbling up, and it lets you know it's alive. <laughs> See, when, when yeast and water get together, it produces its life. And then you dump it in. Now, obviously, I'm probably not going to have enough water to get this thing worked up unless I grab some more in here. Come on, bring me some more. Let me, wait, wait, let's see, because you get too much water, it won't be any good. Don't you love illustrated sermons? But don't you love that you could just hear the Word without an illustrated sermon and still get it? Okay. Glad. Maybe I need a little more. Just work it slow, bro. Not too much now. A little bit more, bro. I went to a prayer meeting. Thank you. Start right there. See, you went to church, but you need to get to that prayer meeting, 24-hour prayer and fasting, get a little more word to get this thing worked through. I mean, it's more than just coming once a week. I mean, how long would it take, man, if I did a teaspoon at a time? I'll see you next Easter. Go ahead, give me some more. This is the problem. You ain't getting enough water of the word to keep you to get this thing working together so you get activated. Come on, keep coming. Keep coming. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. There you go. Let me have the rest of it. I think I can work that thing right there. That's why you wear gloves, bro. If this was meatloaf, I have to have gloves, Miss Dorothy. There is no way I would do this without gloves. Oh, yeah. This, we working it now. I said, we working it now. We working it now. We getting it all in there. We working it in there. Now, right now, it doesn't seem like that yeast is there. But here's the thing about yeast. Yeast is not intimidated with the size of the dough. You, yeast doesn't go into a situation and say, I don't know what to do, man. I mean, wow, these, this is corporate America. This is this. This is that. Yeast just shows up. And here's the thing. Yeast never is influenced by the dough. Save that. Lick it. It's good for you. Amen. Yeast is never influenced by the dough, but the dough is always affected by the yeast. Here's the thing. When yeast gets in, you cannot retract it. We can't stop it now. Can't stop the process. It's in there now. It's in there now. We work this thing, probably need a little bit more flour now. We work this thing, and next thing you know, if we let this thing set, it's going to look like this, and it'll keep rising. These ones here have been rising. This right here, if I leave it, it's going to keep rising. They'll just keep rising. Why? Because it's in there. Because you see, it, yeast is not influenced by the dough, but the dough is influenced by the yeast. Yeast changes the condition of the dough. I said yeast changes. And here's the thing. Yeast works quietly. It just goes to work without any apparent exertion of force. I tell you right now, you can change more people's lives if you would just show up and live God. Where you wouldn't gossip 
where you wouldn't complain. You wouldn't get into all the little inner office stuff or all the politics or all the things. You just speak only when you need to speak. You only say what the Father tells you to say. Next thing you know, you just keep showing up and you'll do something. I'm telling you right now, man, if you'll do this, something will happen. I said this in first service when I was at Brahma Bible College and I worked at a third shift job. It was called Hilti. And John Cantrell, who's in our church today, he's one of our ushers. He works with our children, working with them to, today. He can tell you this story verbatim. He was there, but I showed up. I came and they found out I was one of those. Rain. Pastor Brian can tell you he was worked at Hilti too, just in another section. I worked in the warehouse. We pulled orders. And when I got there, I didn't go, hey, I want to start a Bible study. Anybody want to start a Bible study with me? Right. Oh, now I'm preaching. Because right. people want to, you know, I, we got to save the world and we got to go in there and you want to have. Right. Now, there's nothing wrong with Bible studies at work. No problem with that. Absolutely none. Just know who you are before you get started. Yes. Make sure you can live what you're fixing to preach. But I tell you, some of the greatest ones, man, for me, was being able to just show up at work, then they hear about it, and then they just start watching me. First thing they want to know, do was I at work on time? That's what my managers wanted to know. Because if I'm always there first, checking in first, being there, not first, but just before was, I mean, not late. And if I was late, I called, hey, this took place, this, and I communicated, because reliable communication permits progress. Move forward. If I made a mistake, own up to it. Not blame somebody else. You didn't hear me talking with them, cussing like them, yet I didn't try to change their whole environment. Why? Because I'm in theirs, but not of theirs. So when they played secular music, didn't bother me. Sometimes I'd pick on it. I'd make fun about it. Two songs in particular, the country music ones that I would make fun of. One was by one guy by Travis Tripp, said, here's a quarter, call someone who cares. At the time the song came out, public phones were 35 cents. So I'm like, he don't even care. He's not even giving the person the right amount of money to make the phone call. Then there was another one about, you know, I don't remember who this was, but the gist of the song was is that, you know, we went back home and now the, the, the woods or whatever is a Walmart. And I said, my gosh, man, these people, what is wrong with them? They're, they don't even build Walmarts anymore. They're super Walmarts. They're just super Walmarts. It doesn't sound, so I would sing it. Super Walmart. Doesn't sound right, but I throw it in. And it just, you know, mess with them. Right? Just picking around, but I could do it in a righteous way. I could engage them on a normal level that they consider normal, but stay in righteousness. That I develop relationship. I was there for 18 months. I would say maybe nine months in, maybe nine months. Not probably wasn't six. It probably wasn't, you know, a year in. Probably nine months in, we got a new hire. His name was Tommy. And Tommy showed up. And Tommy found out I was a Bible student. And so Tommy made it a point to try to get me off. It's like his assignment from the devil. And so, you know, he would say things. He would communicate things. You know, he'd be looking for facial expressions with me. I mean, I was pff, nothing, you know. Then one morning after shift, you know, it was 7 a.m. and I was getting off and um, <clears throat> I think it was a Friday so we didn't have to come in or, you know, Friday morning and we don't have to come in that next night. And he goes, hey man, we're all going out to the strip club uh, before, why don't you go with us, you know, for a little bit and then you can go off to class. <laughs> I said, Tommy, I'm married. God's given me a good thing, better than silver and gold. I would never go there, Ever. I'll just ask you next week. Ask me next week. I'm not going. Never. Just kept going. Then eventually one day he said, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, this Jesus deal, you understand? I'm going to tell you, before you leave here, I'm going to get you to backslide. I'm going to get you to give up on that stuff. I said, Tommy, I'm going to tell you right now, it will be more likely that before I leave here, you will get born again. 
And every day, man, and I would do things. I'd buy them ice cream. Remember, we go to a little ice cream. <laughs> Me and Brian, we'd show up on a break and we'd be there, a little ice cream thing. Because, man, you're working third shift. You need it, all the sugar, caffeine, everything you can just to stay awake. And we were going to school, both of us going to school during the day. So, you know, go get a bunch of, I, I buy stuff for Tommy. And I have a wife and three kids, and we like living on, like, uh, we aren't living on a budget because we don't even know what that means. I mean, that doesn't even exist. You just believe in God for, you know, can a cockroach come in the house so we can kill that and eat it? <laughs> No, I'm kidding. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. But there's probably good protein in there. <laughs> anyway, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> but see how I could give you a nice little funny joke in righteousness? Okay. Anyway, so, um, you know, I would do things. And so it was my last night. I'm, my wife, I'd already sent her to Atlanta. She was with her dad. He was going through some um, challenges with his throat and she was already there a month. I finished a year or a month at work there without her after we graduated. Stayed actually with Pastor Brian and Pastor Mike at their house. That was an experience. <laughs> One day I'll tell you about Pastor Brian's um, sink. <laughs> that is a great story. You have to remind me about that. That make that in a book somewhere. Okay. Now you're going to go, tell us, Pastor Earl, tell us. You want me to tell you? Yeah. I'm not. Okay. So <laughs> anyway, what we did is I'm fixing to leave, right? I'm going on that, that last um, break that we're on. It's around 5.15, and I'm going to go. And I, I, I'm not going to work anymore. I'm heading out because I got to get on a bus and head to Atlanta. And so it was probably around, you know, 10 minutes till 5. And all of a sudden, you know, I driven, you know, dropped off a pallet, you know, or whatever. I was finishing up my last one. And um, Tommy came around, you know, and we were chit-chatting, you know, while I was writing it this stuff up and set it down. He said, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, yeah. So I drove around, we went to the very back of the warehouse. And Tommy says, I'm gonna miss you, man. I said, I'll miss you too, Tommy. I said, I've really enjoyed working with you, man. It's been, I said, this whole thing's been an experience for me, you know. And um, Tommy said, um, he said, hey, would you pray with me? I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. And I led him to Christ in the back of the warehouse because I became yeast. I just came to work. I never preached a message to those guys by my word, but I lived. And I'll never forget, oh, it was probably 2000, sometime in 2005. I'd gotten up early and went to our offices off of US-1. I was in the office and I saw I had a call from John Cantrell. And I took the phone. I said, John, what's up? He said, Pastor. Or he said, Earl. He said, Earl, last night my dad and my brother were killed. I said, what happened, man? He said, well, my dad went with my brother. He was a police officer in Sepulpa. He was on a ride with him at night. And they were taking a call. And a car had pulled out in front of him, and he went to avoid it and swerved off and fell into an embankment and killed them both immediately. I said, oh, man, I'm praying for your family. He says, I need you to come preach their funeral. I never met his dad or his brother ever. They flew me out to Tulsa sat down with the family. This is tragic, you understand. And so I'm trying to figure out <clears throat> who John's brother and dad are, and they're not John at all. So everything I know about John is not applicable to these two men. What I come to find out is if you've seen the father, you've seen the son. And there was a double funeral that day. So many police officers were there. That place was packed, man. There had to be 700 people there. And I stood up in front of 700 people, and Pastor Hagen and his staff came to that funeral because John's aunt had married a banker that was on Pastor uh, Hagen's board. So here's my mentor. And God gave me some awesome words to say. 
It was amazing what God can do. But I only did it. I wasn't John's pastor like I am today. But I pastored him while I was at Hilti. I was yeast in his life. And after that moment, he moved here. And then got married here. And is still here with us today. Because I went to work. And he saw Jesus in me. And I see Jesus in John. Golly. Guys, we've been called to be an influence. We've been called to be an influence. Listen. Know you're going to get in some difficult situations, but understand this. Yeast, when heat is applied, it gets more active. In fact, when things get hot around yeast, it will influence larger amounts of dough in a quicker amount of time. That's why Jesus said, consider it all joy when you enter into trials and tribulations because God wants to show you off to your place of influence. When you get the worst things happening around your life and everybody's watching you to see, do you respond like us? You can influence more people at your workplace if you allow the yeast in your life to work. See, yeast is not about giving up or giving in. In fact, this is why we are equipping you. We're equipping you to be an influencer. This is why equipping is so important because you're the yeast in St. John's County. You're the yeast in wherever we go throughout the world. You're that yeast. Yeast is not about giving up or giving in. It's about taking over. It's about taking over. God wants us to create an effect in our community where they rise to another level. Where they rise to another level. Where they rise to another level. I said where they rise to another level.